Hey, it's Amelia Andalion, yoga and meditation teacher. And it has been over a week since I posted a podcast. I realized I was overdue because I want to be consistent in sharing with all of you here that listen. And I wasn't sure what topic to share or what type of episode, whether it would be yoga or a meditation. So I reached out to some of my yoga students and friends who also happen to be listeners of this podcast. And when I asked them to suggest to me what they would like to hear about, I had a common theme of how to deal with uncertainty, how to feel whole in times of certainty, uncertainty, how to feel whole in times of insecurity, and how to deal with the uncertainties of the future. So a pretty common theme of uncertainty. And at the same time, I was also, and I would say ironically, and I don't think it's ironic, I think it's actually divine intervention, I was also personally experiencing my own anxiety with uncertainty. And I noticed that I've experienced a cycle since we started this shelter in place, this global pandemic, you know, bringing a, a halt to our, our life, our life as we knew it starting back in March, and how I've had a cycle of like doing really great, of focusing on the silver lining, you know, being patient, practicing my yoga, practicing my meditation, and then all of a sudden, wham, I would wake up, whether it's in the morning or in the middle of the night, and feel like I just couldn't handle it anymore, and fall into a heap of tears, and a feeling of stress and suffering and panic. And then it almost felt like a cathartic cleanse. It's like I just had to acknowledge that I've been holding it all together, controlling it so well, feeling like I was controlling it so well for myself and for others, for my family, for my students, and just like a dam. It was just building up, building up, building up like a volcano, like lava that just had to explode and acknowledge it's just been hard. It's been freaking hard trying to be good and I'm using those words, the words that I hear in my head, you know, to be good at handling this pandemic. And when I allowed myself to acknowledge that I've actually been trying to do this well and trying to do this good and trying to be a good example and then checking in on my thoughts, observing my thoughts, that I didn't even realize how I was performing instead of being in this experience that we're in right now. Just like how I've been trained in most of my life to achieve, to be successful, to strive and reach a goal, even in this pandemic and how I am managing these emotions, I have been attaching to how well have I been managing my emotions connecting to inner calm, practicing my yoga, practicing equanimity, and unknowingly judging myself and criticizing myself if I've been doing it good enough. And when I took the time to sit in meditation and I sat with two specific topics today, which I received from my students. And I'm so grateful that I actually asked for some suggested topics. How to feel whole in times of insecurity and how to deal with the uncertainties of the future. I took myself outside to my backyard barefoot and I connected and grounded my feet, practiced earthing, 
So earthing is to literally walk barefoot on the ground and allow the magnetic force of the earth to ground me, to connect into my, it's like me plugging into the stability of the earth. And so that's one tip that I'll suggest for those of you listening, those of you asking, you know, how do I deal with uncertainty? So one thing, ground yourself. So ground yourself in what gives you stability and consider getting outside barefoot and walking on the earth and feeling the presence of the ground, the earth underneath you. And I sat myself down in front of my Buddha, which is in my backyard. I have, I have several spots of meditation in my house, outside my house. You can meditate anywhere. I meditate in my closet, <laughs> just anywhere you can find a place to sit and meditate. And in this case, I took myself outside. I walked barefoot a little bit on the ground, on the grass. I felt it. I let myself breathe. I let myself feel the, the sun and the vitamin D on my skin. And then I sat down in front of the Buddha. And I noticed how the sun was sparkling and peeking through the trees. And I invited a mental space of nothingness into my mind. And I remembered how the student, the Zen student, walks up to the teacher and wants to know all of the knowledge, wants all the answers, and how the Zen master will pour from a tea kettle into a teacup and keeps pouring until the tea is overflowing. And the student says to the teacher, you know, you're, you're pouring too much into the cup. It's overflowing. You know, it's spilling out of the cup. And the teacher, you know, offers the lesson that the knowledge when there's the the need, the wanting, the craving, the desire for knowledge, it can be so great that it's hard for us to receive. Then instead, empty yourself, empty your mind, and then allow yourself to receive. So I have something to share with you that arose during my meditation and during my journaling. But just like I did before I started writing, before enlightenment came to me, I'm going to invite you to take a seat for meditation and allow yourself to empty your mind, empty your thoughts and let go of needing to know the answer in this moment. So create your seat. Five minutes, breathe and be. its bones root down into the earth and reach the crown of your head up towards the ceiling or towards the sky. Breathe in. Sigh, empty out the breath. Take another breath in. Open mouth, sigh it out. 
continue with her breath and let go of tension in the face, in the jaw, the neck, the shoulders. Notice anywhere else in the body where you might sense tightness or stress. Acknowledge it, notice it. And choose, choose to hold on to it or let it go. Observe your thoughts in this moment. Notice if the brain is busy. Notice if there's a sense of feeling cluttered or frazzled. Open your eyes, look at one spot, and imagine that you're looking at a jar that's full of glitter, like a snow globe. And shake that jar of glitter. And that jar of glitter has white glitter, like snow. And put that jar down. And observe the jar, and there is one piece of glitter that is gold. Just one. So observe as you watch that one piece of gold glitter very slowly floating down, making its way like a zigzag. taking a curve, a turn here, and maybe it's even lifting up again and then lowering down. It doesn't fall like a straight path. And it's moving slow like it's moving through molasses, like honey. Notice all the other white glitter is surrounding it like snow, like a, a snowstorm, like a blizzard. And let your eyes and your mind's eye focus on that one piece of gold glitter. Thirty more seconds of this five minute practice of meditation and mindfulness. Bring your focus to what you see in the jar. And imagine that the jar is completely clear because all of the glitter has now floated to the bottom. all the white and if you lower your eyes to the bottom of this jar you can see that one piece of gold glitter has settled to the bottom and then look at the jar again looking at the contents of the entire jar and see that the surface, the majority of the jar now, is completely clear. Completely see-through. See with your eyes. See with your mind's eye. Invite 
the mind, the thoughts, the desire for knowledge, empty it all out. Invite the intention to be. Three more breaths. Take a breath in. Empty, empty out. Open your eyes and prepare to listen and learn. Welcome back from your meditation. And my suggestion now, well, I have two suggestions. One, you can listen to this episode without writing anything down and or take the time to grab a journal, take a seat. If you can, if it's possible for you, as a suggestion, go outside. Can you find a spot where you can sit in the sun or sit in the grass, maybe grab your yoga mat to sit outside, or if you're like me, I have redwood trees in my backyard, and I actually, to prepare for this episode today, I took my journal and my books with me out to my yoga deck where I have redwood trees. And I set out my yoga mat, I sat down, I had everything prepared, and I leaned up against that redwood tree, and I allowed myself to listen and learn and write and journal, and there's a sense of this grounding. I was just, I was so intentional in creating my environment to be open in my heart and mind, which allowed me to share what I will share with you next. All right, I'll be right back. 30 seconds for this brief commercial break. All right, thanks. Be right back. All right, welcome back again. Well, maybe you have your journal, maybe not. Or maybe you'll listen to this once the first time around and then listen to it again. And I found several things came to me. So one, I shared that I meditated first in front of my Buddha in the backyard. And when I think of Buddha, the first thing that typically comes to mind, the first quote and the first principle that I think of is one of the noble truths is that the root of suffering is attachment. And how I learned it was actually the root of all suffering is attachment. And then I was reminded that the first noble truth is to live is to suffer. So those two things, they reminded me about the principle that in nature there cannot be light without darkness. And that the basic cause of suffering is our attachment to a desire, to a craving and our desire to not have aversion. So it's basically the opposite of what our primal brain, our primitive brain wants to do, where our prim primitive brain wants to seek pleasure, it wants to avoid discomfort, and that's the physical sensation when we were on this earth, you know, running away from the saber-toothed tigers, and then now we've evolved, 
and we're in a life and an environment where we don't have those saber-toothed tigers, and yet the brain can still respond that way primitively to have an, an aversion to discomfort and going to our theme today to uncertainty can feel uncomfortable and then also wanting to seek pleasure to be comfortable and that can arise in not wanting change and not wanting transition and not wanting things to go awry because we want things to go our way. Yeah, so the two truths today I'm mentioning, the noble truths, to live is to suffer, and the root of suffering is attachment. And I know when I first heard this, especially about the attachment and desire, and I used to be really confused because did that mean that I am not allowed to desire? Oh, what if you're attracted to somebody like your spouse? Or how do you even date somebody <laughs> without desire? Or am I not allowed to crave chocolate? Or am I not allowed to love the ocean? I love the ocean. And it is not that. It's not that you can't desire or want something. The Buddha says to deny desire is actually to deny life itself. But for us to rise above the attachments without depriving yourself. So rise above your attachments without depriving yourself. And where the suffering arises is when we don't put an end to our desire. So the request here is to not be a slave to your desire, for me not to be a slave to my desire. And what does this have to do with uncertainty? So when I reflected on it, my desire to be in control. So what's throwing me off in this experience of uncertainty right now is that I've had the thoughts that uncertainty is a problem, that uncertainty is wrong that not knowing what's going to happen in the future, that that is a problem. And truly, what is creating the anxiety within me is that I have an attachment to having things go my way. And for me, my way would be not to have this global pandemic, not to live in a world of racism, not to feel trapped in my house and not have the freedom to go outside without a mask. So those are my attachments right now. My thoughts, my thinking is telling me that all these things right now in my life are wrong. And it's actually my thoughts that are creating my suffering. And I can speak this to you now because I've done my meditation. I emptied my mind. You know, I, I emptied my cup. And before all of this emptying and before all of this reflection, to hear what I'm sharing with you right now was like a bunch of, well, I just didn't want to hear it. <laughs> what I wanted to hear instead was give me a solution to this because I just want it to stop. And I know a lot of us are feeling that right now because it's feeling tiring, it's feeling exasperating, it's creating a sense of suffering because it can be affecting finances. It can be affecting, you know, we don't know if we can afford the rent. We don't know, etc., etc., and it can go on and on and on. And the truth is, we don't have control. And that I and you, as someone who practices yoga or meditation or spiritual philosophy, we have 
the opportunity right now to truly practice our yoga, to truly practice our meditation, which is to be, to choose right now, to be the master of our thoughts and feelings, rather than to be a servant of our thoughts and feelings. Like who is driving right now? And ask yourself, who is driving, you know, this ship of your experience in your mind? Are your thoughts and your feelings driving you? Maybe driving you crazy? <laughs> or are you choosing your thoughts and your feelings? And it doesn't mean that what is happening right now is right or wrong, you know, good or bad. You know, everyone will have their opinion and judgments of that. And if what you're seeking is an experience of inner peace or a way to move through this life in a neutral way, to be non-reactive, less reactive, non-reactive, to our circumstances, the things that are happening outside of us that we don't have control over. So I'll let you sit with that a little bit. Maybe even you want to journal. You know, and ask yourself what would happen if you told yourself uncertainty is not a problem. And if you accepted the two noble truths, to live is to suffer, and the root of all suffering is attachment. And to ask yourself, what if you were the master of your thoughts and feelings rather than be a servant to your thoughts and feelings? All right, sit with that for a little bit. Reflect on that journal on that. And I'll be right back. All right, welcome back. This final part of this episode. And the last part, I'm gonna read a passage from a book by my teacher, my yoga teacher, Baron Baptiste. And the book is Perfectly Imperfect, The Art and Soul of Yoga Practice. So I love this book. This is not just because it's by my yoga teacher, but because it's a small book that's great, you know, and it is actually, on the side of my bed on my nightstand. And I often gift it to my private yoga students, to friends. I quote from it, I read from it. And the chapter that I'm gonna read from today, it's called Strive Not to Arrive. And I wanna share the opening quote of this chapter by the Indian philosopher Krishnamurti. There is no end to education. It is not that you read a book, pass an examination, and finish with education. The whole of life, from the moment you are born to the moment you die, is a process of learning. So I'll, I'll continue reading from this chapter but when I think of that quote, you know, life is a yoga practice. And what came to me during my reflection today before this episode 
was how going through this since March right now, and today I'm recording this for you in the middle of July. You know, this is my this is my life lifelong vinyasa practice. You know, in, in my yoga practice, I cue to transition with ease. You know, to flow like water. And right now, to be off the mat with these circumstances, which are out of my control, that these experiences are actually giving me the opportunity to flex my resiliency muscle and reminding me that I am stronger than I know and that I am stronger than my thoughts, especially my thoughts that show up as doubts, fear, anxiety, uncertainty, that I can be the master of my thoughts and feelings as opposed to a servant, a slave to my thoughts and feelings. And another question for you to ask yourself and which you can journal on now and pause or journal on later is ask yourself, how do you want to respond to this uncertainty? and choose it. So ask yourself, who do you want to be in this uncertainty? How do you want to respond in this uncertainty? Reflect on that. Ask yourself, are you responding in the way that you want to? Are you choosing it? And observe that when you are in an an experience that you are reacting and you're not choosing your reaction, that there is an experience of an additional lack of control, that you could actually be adding on to your suffering when you don't choose your reaction, when instead you allow the primitive brain, that fight or flight, to react instead. And consider that certainty is an illusion. That there actually isn't anything that's certain in life except for death. And I know that sounds morbid, but it's the truth. We actually don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And if we can embrace the fact and remember the fact that uncertainty is a part of life. It just is. It is. And that we, and that we add to our suffering if our thoughts, if our thoughts take us to wishing it was something else other than it is. You are stronger than you think and literally like how you think your thoughts. You're stronger than you think. You're stronger than the thoughts that you think. All right, so take a note of that. And then I'm going to read this passage from this book. And it's, it's, I don't know, a couple of pages long. So get comfortable and listen. Listen, receive and allow whatever it is to resonate. Here we go. All right. And if those of you actually have the book and you want to follow along, I'm on page 132 of Perfectly Imperfect. The yogi always starts out as a form junkie. We all have our own attachment to creating strong, beautiful poses, and we bring this attachment onto the mat. We become attached to what the practice looks like and forget that it is an opportunity to understand something deeper, something far more extraordinary than having a perfectly balanced eagle pose. Nothing is wrong with mastering form. 
But the bigger work for each of us is to have a transformation, not in our poses, but in our internal paradigm. It's great for us to be able to measure our strength, flexibility, stamina, and overall progress in the pose, and attention to form allows for that. The problem, however, is that usually we don't just measure the progress or condition we're dealing with in the pose. We make that measure mean something about who we are as human beings. If the form of the pose gets labeled as good by some standard, then I am good. If it is not good, then I am no good either. If the form is not enough, I make that mean that I am not enough. Rather than saying, my leg muscles are not strong enough to sustain this pose, one might say instead, I am not strong enough to hold this pose. Can you see the difference? One is a measure of leg strength. The other is a measure of who you are as a human being. And those of you following along, I skip a paragraph. Misplaced hope is the expectation that some external source is going to save or legitimize us so we can eventually live happily ever after. It is a superstitious belief that if we master the right form on or off the mat, we will someday arrive. If we think of a form as anything we do and the things we have, we can see that's true. A relationship that looks a certain way is a form. So too is a large bank account, the perfect physique, an award won or a promotion granted. Yet in the background of our consciousness, we have all experienced enough disappointment with the ability of forms to deliver true fulfillment. Hoping that we will arrive in contentment when we achieve these things keeps all the suffering in place. And I will continue on with one more passage from this book, this chapter. And I just want to let you sit with that, you know, seeing the, the analogy of our yoga practice, you know, trying to receive a form, the look of a pose, and where a job or a success or knowing what's happening in the future can also be considered a form, the certainty of a form. And just being in the noticing of how that can create suffering when we get attached to what something should look like or should be like instead of allowing it to be. All right, sit with that a few more seconds and I'll be right back. All right, continuing on with the reading from, or the passage from this book. So something that you may or may not know, Baron studied with, with Iyengar. He directly studied with him in India. And this next part of the book, part of this chapter, shares one of his stories, one of his experiences with Iyengar. I was participating in a class being given by my teacher, Mr. Iyengar. 
In his booming voice, he instructed the class to go beyond the limitations of the mind in the poses. He went on to say, the moment you think you've arrived, you get squashed like a bug. Mr. Iyengar then instructed us to do Raja Kapotasana, King Pigeon Pose. I've got this, Baron thought. As I bent my back knee and brought my foot up toward the back of my head, grabbing it with both hands, I pulled my foot to my head into an even deeper backbend. Half of my consciousness was with my body, applying technical skills and mechanics to properly create the physical pose. The other half was with my ego as I performed the pose. The practice room was very full that day, and I remember being aware of how other yogis in the room were watching me. I was also aware that my teacher and his senior assistants were watching me as well. So, with my concern for looking good in full throttle, I kept pulling with each breath deeper and deeper into the full form of this backbend. Suddenly, pop. I felt my lower back give out as a shooting pain radiated from my hip to my spine. As I slowly came out of the pose, Mr. Iyengar's next words rang out loudly like a bell ringing in my head. The mind is a friend or it is a foe. In that moment, I saw with a flash that the part of my mind that was attached to mastering form had been driving my impatiently, driving me impatiently towards seeking quick results. Depth and substance were nowhere to be found in my expression. My rush to perform the pose in my teacher's class left me injured and my whole physical practice screeched to a halt for a while after that. That day was a paradigm-altering experience for me, and a great reminder that an over-focus on form and results comes with a cost. There's a Zen saying, if you are in a hurry, you will never reach your goal. After that experience of being injured, I got clear that when I choose to slow down and deepen my experience on the mat, I open up to a bigger kind of thinking and profound learning. The less I'm in a hurry, the quicker the results seem to happen. With patience, the quality of my experience has a depth that can't be measured on the clock, but by the timelessness of my experience. We fool ourselves when we ask how long it will take to get the pose, to know who we are, or figure out our life purpose. It's reasonable to think at first that slowing down means to move through the forms of the poses more slowly. But do you really think you would access your humanity by the pace of your moves on the mat? That's like saying that someone who runs has less ability to be meditative than someone who walks. Slowing down your tempo might help you work on your body mechanics and form but that is still looking to the form to fix something. The real work here is to slow down and create space within yourself. It is very meaningful to be in the pose and let the experience of it penetrate you deeply. Letting the pose work on us requires patience. Yoga practice forces us to confront our impatience. We learn over time the more impatient we are, the more time it will take for us to reach 
our transformation. It's counterintuitive, but the more we are in a hurry, the more our growth will be delayed. The yogis say the moment you are infinitely patient is the moment that you allow for transformation. Those of you reading along, continue on page 141. The Buddha talks about how the wheel of life keeps on moving and how the wheel turns around a fixed center. If you look only at the periphery of the wheel, you are looking at the outer form. If you become capable of accessing the hub, the core center, you will be able to connect with something essential, timeless and eternal. When we focus on form and look only to the periphery, we find ourselves repeating the same superficial motions again and again and again. Buddha calls life a wheel because things go on habitually repeating themselves. The more you mechanically repeat the same form of the poses, the sooner your practice will go flat as boredom and dullness sets in. If you've been on the mat for enough hours in your life, you've probably hit that kind of rut in your practice at one time or another likely without realizing why. A singular focus on form robs you of freshness and creativity, and the practice quickly grows stale. Buddha calls this unconscious, repetitious turning of the wheel samsara. Outside of this repetitious rut, is where you will discover nirvana. When I was in my early 20s living in Los Angeles, I would attend an early morning open class every day at a local studio where yogis would gather and go through a set sequence of postures, each at his or her own pace. Day in and day out, I would notice that some of the yogis seemed to be just going through the motions. They would repeat the forms of the practice again and again with technical acumen, but no spark in their eyes and no rays of energy expressing out from the center of the pose. There was a mechanical dullness in what they were doing. In observing them, I realized that I too had the ability to go unconscious and robotically move through the forms. What I discovered for myself was that the moment I feel that I've arrived because I've mastered some form is when I fall into that realm of the repetitive robotic rut of dullness. I learned that to keep expanding, I need not to get caught up in the periphery pursuits and instead reach deeper and get to the source of my experience. Vinyasa, the flow from pose to pose, is a moving wheel on an unmoving hub at the center. You are the hub. The outer flow of the wheel keeps on moving, taking you someplace new. Why strive to arrive when that would mean the wheel of knowledge, inspiration, depth, and discovery would come to a halt? And so, I leave you with that. There's quite a bit here for you to digest, to receive, to allow. And all going back to the initial questions 
of how to feel whole in times of insecurity and how to deal with uncertainties of the future. So and my hope for you is that you have discovered one, uncertainty is not a problem. Two, to be a master of your thoughts and your thinking. To be a master and not a slave. Three, the root of all suffering is attachment. And the last thing, and also to acknowledge that it is normal and you are not alone in feeling anxious, in feeling depressed, in feeling nervous, and to feel unnerved. And all of those feelings are part of our human experience. And to go back to the other noble truth, to live is to suffer. And when you and I can let go of thinking life is supposed to be comfortable, that it's time to arrive perfectly in our pose, into our utopia, that when we stay attached to wanting that, that comfort and not wanting and not liking transition or change, once we can let that go and embrace that to live is to suffer, that we actually become free of our suffering. And that is my intention for you, for myself, and for all beings, is to experience namaste, to be free of suffering in body, and to be free of the experience of suffering in body and mind. Namaste.